open our hearts, open our minds, open our desires to what he has for us. And if we close it off, he can't do his work in our lives. Part of that is getting into the word. Part of that is desiring to be around him and know him and to know more about him. Uh, One of the ways, and the kids uh, are dismissed. Sorry, I forgot to say that. One of the ways that uh, we do that is by getting into the Word, and we're going to start doing it uh, on Wednesday nights, a new study, and I uh, have the books in, so if anybody wants to look at them, you're welcome to. It's called the Bible Study, Old Testament, New Testament, and um, these are pretty thick. Uh, You can get as much out of it as you want or as little out of it as you want. Um, so uh, it's up to you on what you desire on that. Um, we have, uh, if you've ordered one, they're in the back. If you want one, go ahead and grab one. They're $38. We're going to do it on Wednesday nights at my house. Um, if you miss a week, no big deal. We're just going to keep going over the next book because it's an overview of the Bible. Uh, they have a youth edition. It's a 90-day edition, but uh, some of the youth are going to... Um, join us and they're going to do it just like we're doing it one book a week and and so forth so uh, that's also available so if you haven't told me you wanted one let me know and uh, that way I can make sure we have enough copies but there's several in the back back there and let's get into the word this morning we are in James 5 we're going to start out in 1st Timothy 6 but we're in James 5 right now and last week at the end of chapter 4 James was addressing the godly rich. In other words, those that follow God, those that profess to know the Lord, those who, who are, are there in a sense every day, every week in and out, he was encouraging them to not allow money to corrupt the relationship with the Lord. That no matter how much money we have, uh, first off, we use it for the Lord, we use it for good, but we rely on the Lord and not our own resources. Because to allow that money to corrupt our relationship with the Lord, we become arrogant. We become independent. I can take care of this myself. I don't have to rely on the Lord because I got enough money, I can just do it. But we should be looking toward the future and thinking about the future. Looking at things from the Lord's view and the Lord's way of thinking. And, you know, ask God, what should we be doing? Then set our sights on the future and say, Lord willing, this is what I'm planning on doing. But the idea is that the Lord is in charge, not ourselves. Now this week he's going to turn, James is going to turn from the godly rich to the ungodly rich. Some of them would have been going to the church but most of them would have been outside the church. But he was writing to, to mostly Jewish Christians, and, and a lot of them had money, and he was pretty harsh toward them, toward those who were, maybe, maybe they said they were followers of Christ, but they really weren't, or those that were kind of on the fringe, the edges. He was harsh. And again, it was for those who had this love of money. Their idea was that life was all there was, so you live it to the hilt. You take all, your, you, take all you can while you're, you're here because there's nothing after the grave. In other words, you live and you die, and that is it. Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know that that is not it. 
before we get to the passage today, I want to say that money is not the problem. Some of you are going, man, money's the problem for me. I need more, you know? But money's really not the problem. Lots of money is not even the problem. It's the attitude that goes with it that can become the problem. You see, money is not immoral. Money is not moral. Money is amoral. It's neutral. That is money. How we use it can be used for moral things or immoral things. It can be used for godly things or ungodly things because money is not moral. Back then, there was two types of classes. They, you know, today in, in America and, and some other countries, you have kind of almost like three different types of classes. You have the, the rich, you have the middle class, and then you have the poor. But back then in the, in the, in the Roman kingdom, it was kind of like you had two classes. You had the rich, and then you had the poor. And the poor lived day to day. In other words, I worked and I got paid that day, and that allowed me to go buy my food on the way home so I could feed my family. Okay. So keep that in mind as we go through today's teaching. Paul tells Timothy in chapter 6 of, uh, of uh, Timothy, he tells them, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we see that even Paul talks about this. Everyone can be deceived by riches. And this is why Paul, I mean, this is why James is addressing the Christians first, and now he's addressing the, you know, those who are not of the faith. The deceitfulness of money is the idea of a little bit more. Well, if I just had a little bit more, I could do this. The problem with that thought pattern is, as soon as you get that little bit more, you just want a little bit more, don't you? And then as soon as you get that, you want just a little bit, you know. So the idea is that we're always chasing happiness because if we just had a little bit more. So James has been having this theme throughout his book of, of here's some things uh, to make your Christian walk a quality one. Here's, here's a way to make yourself a mature believer. And last chapter, he said a mature believer will not allow money to control them. There are many wealthy believers, and I know quite a few of them live from living up in the Bay Area, you know. And they're godly people, and the wealth does not control them. They kept their money in proper perspective and used it wisely with the kingdom of God in mind. Now, there are those that are, that are called to ministry, and there are those who are, who are called to be full-time business people. There are those that are called to, you know, teachers went back to school, pray for them, for those that work with children, uh, after-school programs, and everything else. They certainly need it. They represent the Lord as they're doing their job. 
The Lord has different places for different people for a reason. Everyone is in ministry no matter where you work. Because we are all the priesthood, as Paul teaches us in Philippians. Those who tithe, your money allows us to minister to not only you, but the little ones. To bring them up knowing Jesus. To bring them up, leading them toward God. It allows us to help those in need. It allows us to help other churches use our campus. I wish we were busting at the seams where we didn't have anybody could rent from us because, sorry, we don't have the room. But that's not the case right now. So let's use our, our campus for, for the kingdom of God. So we have that. We allow other churches to come in and use our facility. It allows us to go to the Philippines and, and bring the saving grace of Jesus to students and parents. In fact, the last time I was there, the biggest blessing was not only to see a young teen, uh, young man to be baptized, but because of the teaching he received, it led his mother at home to the faith, and she was baptized at the same time. Now, personally, this gets me going every time, okay? But personally, I now support that young man. I help pay for a school test. I make sure he gets lunch at school because they have to pay for every little thing. I make sure he has transportation to be able to get to school because they don't have buses running around like we do. They have to pay for it so he can stay in school. He can go on to college or their version of college instead of quitting to support the family so the younger siblings can go to school. It's important for us to look outward. If anybody else wants to support any of those kids, come talk to me. I can help you with that. But it goes directly over there. I'm talking about 100% of it. It's not one of these things where like 80% reaches the mission field and 20% is used for overhead. No, every dime goes over there. Now we have somebody over there to help oversee that so it doesn't get squandered. But it's a good thing. Without the resources from Christians in this world, ministry would not be able to happen, and that takes money. So the Lord has people out there making money with kingdom in mind so they can support the kingdom and do wonderful things for God and with God. But no one in ministry can say, it was all me. It takes every one of us. So when someone is generous with the work of God, it's amazing. God multiplies it back to them, either in this life or the rewards to come in the next life. Another example is the closer to home. I put out an email a couple of weeks ago about Nicole. She was going to be uh, uh, teaching for the first time. Or for, well, I mean, she's been teaching a long time, okay? Don't get me wrong. But this is her first full-time teacher job in a school. And she doesn't have years worth of supplies built up, right? So I put out an email just saying, hey, if we want to help her out with that, just let her know. If you feel the Lord's leading on that, if you want to help provide for that, here's a link to her Amazon wish list. Uh, you guys responded, and I, I, I appreciated that. I know she did. There were things purchased. There was money given. What a blessing that was. Now she, like many before her, go into the classroom to teach and bring influence and toward, to young people toward the ways of the Lord. She will bring light into a dark world. I get you people sometimes, you know, once, sometimes twice a week. 
She gets those children, just like every other person that works with young children, multiple days a week. Pray for them that they will bring the light of God to the next generation. We have to keep things in perspective. So true Christians will not allow money to direct their lives. So now James, I know that was a long intro, right? James turns from the worldly, uh, uh, you know, from the worldly who worship money now. And, you know, they're, they're trading eternal riches for, for the riches here on earth, the fleeting riches, as it's called. It's a terrible trade. In Matthew, uh, Matthew 16, it says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. That's why it's important for us to be kingdom-minded. So this is James' focus. He starts out and he says in chapter 5, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Ouch! little harsh, isn't it? James is saying judgment is coming. One day you will be judged. Think about it this way. As a Christian, this life is as bad as it will ever get. Think about that. Your life, if you're on a day, you know, life kind of goes on the roller coaster now, but on the downslope, that's as low as your life can ever get. Why is that? Because you have heaven. And that is going to be so much better. You have heaven to look forward to. Eternity to be with God in heaven. Those who look to the, the world for their rewards. This is as good as it's going to get for them. Because judgment is coming. And it will be worse than they even have ever thought about. In the Old Testament, we see the prophets, and, and we see this with Jesus, too. He, you know, they plead to the people, don't trade eternity in heaven for worldly things. Don't do that. This is summed up well in Luke, 6, Luke 16. Two different lots in life. Uh, people had two different lots in life, and when they died, it was completely reversed. And, and, and I'm fixing to read it to you, but uh, part of it to you, but this is not a parable. And how do we know it's not a parable? Because there's people named here. In parables, it was, there once was a man, da 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 da, da you know. And uh, th there's no names to it. This one has names in it. In fact, Luke 16, starting in verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades. So now we have Lazarus in what we call Abraham's bosom, and this is where believers went before Jesus died for their sins. There were believers in God, the one true God, 
And God protected them and took them. And, and the thought pattern goes, and we don't understand exactly how it all worked, but the thought pattern goes that Jesus, when he died, he went to Abraham's bosom and he, he presented himself as, I am I'm God's son, and he took all of them to heaven, okay? But at this point, they were in Abraham's bosom. And uh, in the other side of this is what we call Hades, uh, what we would call hell, um, but the, the word is Hades, a place of torment, and it was separated from Abraham's bosom. It's where the unbeliever would go until the day of judgment. And the day of judgment happens when? After Christ's second returned. Okay? So they're still there. And, and, and their case has been decided. They are guilty, and judgment, and the final judgment, the final punishment will come. It goes on and says in verse 23, In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip uh, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things when Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who went uh, or those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, "Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, that I may have that I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place." of torment. Abraham replied, then have Moses, or they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. In other words, they're Jewish. They've learned. They, they've heard all these things. Let them listen to them. Verse 30, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from, from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is a warning to everyone to make your decision here and now on earth because you don't get another chance afterward. You can't be changed. James is using very strong language. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. This is a scream. This is a cry. You know, a cry. This is a loud cry. This is a. You know what a. You know what a well is. Uh, you know, different cultures. Uh, um, when somebody uh, passes away, that they, they react differently. And, and I've seen this. In fact, in in Jewish, uh, over in Israel, they would. They would literally hire whalers to come and wail for the family. And they would just sit around and just cry and wail out and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, this is the type of wailing we're talking about. They would have associated this also with the Old Testament uh, prophets who used the language to describe God's judgment against the wicked. Jesus also talks about this in Matthew 13 when he talks about coming back to earth. He will gather the righteous and the saved during the tribulation. In other words, those who were saved during the tribulation, he will gather and they will send his angels and they will gather the unbelievers, separating them and throw them into the lake of fire where there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. James knows that a day is coming when unbelievers will be cast into hell and he is warning them right here Wake up. 
wake up. Get right with God to avoid an eternity of misery. There is no wait and see to see how it works out. Today is the day to mourn over sin. Today is the day to look at yourself and say, no longer. But people are hard-hearted, aren't they? They're blinded. But as we're out there, we need to look for those seeds that's on fertile ground that God wants us to water so they can grow and they can be harvested into the kingdom of God. We need to not lose heart, but know that the day of the Lord is closer. Goes on and says in verse 2, you wealth or your wealth has rotted and the moths have eaten your clothes. What he's talking about here is that you got to know Jewish kind of thought and what they would do back then. They have used corrupt practices to gain wealth. And they have used the world's ways to keep it. The Greek word that James uses here for rotted is the word sepal. It's only used here in the New Testament. So, so only this one time in the New Testament. So we had to go outside of biblical writings to figure out what does this word you know, mean to them back then. And the other writings use it to describe rotted wood or decayed flesh or rotted fruit. That's not good at all, is it? So the wealthy have gathered their stuff and they've not used it for godly things. They're hoarding it. And what happens when you hoard food? It rots, doesn't it? Even grain, you think, oh, grain or something like that. Well, if any water gets into that grain, it rots and it smells. I've cleaned up at the grain elevator when, when I was young. I've cleaned up a lot of rotted grain, and it's not a good smell at all. My mom knew when we got home she could smell us coming. I'm telling you, that's how bad it was. This is the same as Egyptians who would be buried with their riches and their food for the afterlife, they thought, right? What are we digging up now? Their riches and we're finding food. Some of it's dried out and even fruit, like, like you know, okay, I'm just going to say orange, but I'm not quite sure what type of fruit they had but I was watching a show the other day and they literally had fruit that had dried up and it still looked like fruit in the tomb and they're digging them up but it's all rotted away our treasure is not buried in the ground our treasure is in heaven you know not earthly things the Bible says where your treasure is is where your heart is so James is saying that none uh, you know none of the Christian rich people they, they what, what he's trying to say where your focus is it's on the wrong thing your focus has got to be on the Lord See, what they would do is, uh, you know, we, we like to save up for the future, uh, you know, for retirement and stuff. Well, I mean, it's not unwise to do that. But these people, what they would do, they would take these fine garments, and then they would buy and trade and sell it, and they would adorn them with all these different stones. Uh, you know, they didn't have the stock market back then, okay? And they would collect these, you know, their outer robes that would adorn them. And they would sell them in the future as they got ready to retire so they wouldn't have to work. The problem is moths would get into some of these fine clothes, right? It would get into the fabric. And what happens when moth gets in the fabric? 
starts eating it away, right? Ruining the garments. This kind of reminds me of Revelations 3 in the church of Laodicea, a very wealthy church, but all they had was wealth because spiritually they were dead. And Jesus talks about how he's out, you know, outside knocking on the door and his very wealthy church you know, needed to be careful not to leave Jesus on the outside. Now, we have wealthy churches in America, don't we? Let me contrast you two that I'm from, you know, familiar with. Been around. I grew up in Houston. One collected $25 million for a sanctuary. The Lord came to the pastor and said, I want you to spend that on missions over this next year. So he went to the congregation and said, let's vote on this. This is what the Lord's telling me. So they obeyed the Lord, and, and they did that over the next year. And then the Lord blessed that church even more. And I can tell you, Jesus is the central theme for that church. Now, another church has all the money in the world. They bought the Houston Rockets basketball arena for their church. They don't talk about Jesus. Their so-called pastor has said there's all sorts of different paths to God. Just choose one. Hurricane hit, they closed their doors. Didn't help the people of Houston. In my view, he is not about the kingdom of God. He is about his own kingdom. One church about God, presenting Christ, following the Lord. Another church about man. Woe unto him in the last days. The scriptures say, woe unto the churches who are Christian churches in name only. And Jesus rebukes those churches in Revelations 3.17 and on. Here, James in the first six verses gives some very stern words of condemnation. He's basically giving them a good swift kick in the backside. He's saying, you need to wake up, guys. In the Old Testament, the Lord, you know, God warned the Israelites not to intermarry with unbelievers. And a lot of people would use this back in, in uh, times to say, well, you know, this person who has this skin color can't marry that person who has that skin color. And that's totally not what it was talking about. It was saying, if you have a Christian, don't let them marry a non-Christian because it will change. It, how do you raise the children? Do you raise them in the church? Not in the church. It, it, it offers complications when you do that. It causes headaches. And the families would go away from God to other idols. And that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. They came in and God said, you need to get all the, all the unbelievers out of this land. He warned them. They didn't listen. They intermarried and they were, they were starting to worship other idols. And God warned them prophet after prophet. And, and so God basically said through the prophets, you are gonna, Babylon's going to come and take you. And sure enough, Babylon came and took them. For 70 years, they were out of the land, and they cried out to God, and finally God rescues them. When he hears their cries, they get back to Israel, and what do they do? The same exact thing. Ezra was one of the prophets at the time, and he was heartbroken. He sat down and wept, and they came to him and said, Ezra, what's up? He said, you are going away from God. They said, no, 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 stop weeping. We will make it right. 
And Ezra was this kind of velvet uh, glove type of prophet, you know, kind of easygoing, okay, 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 we'll work through this. Ninety years later, Nehemiah shows up. They were back to the same things that they had done before, uh, before Babylon and Syria came and all that. He shows up and grabs them literally by their beards, okay, they had longer beards, and pulls their hair out and says, knock it off. He had to scare them straight. Both leaders were effective for a time. Sometimes you need the velvet gloves. Sometimes you need the swift kick up the old backside. And James is, is pulling out all the stops here. He says in verse 3, your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. See, the, well, the wealthy would make their, their uh, idols out of gold and silver. And he said, these statues will be corroded, okay? And, and they will be gone. All these statues will show in the end is who they were worshiping. And these statues would testify against them. He goes on and says in verse 4, Look, the wages have fa- you have failed to pay the workers who, mo- who, who mowed your fields, Um, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. It's kind of interesting. This kind of reminds me of Bezos a little bit, flying off into space. Now, I'm, I'm partial to the space program, don't get me wrong. My, my father-in-law worked with the, you know, the astronauts and all that kind of stuff. When I first met Lisa, she was at NASA, and I would drive out there and, and meet her for lunch and stuff like that. So, so I'm kind of partial to that. But it struck me when Bezos got back you know, to Earth, and he thanked his Amazon workers for allowing him to do this. Well, first of all, he didn't ask them, okay? I'm just saying, you know. Second, how much money did he spend? Now, at the same time, there's a lot of innovation that's coming out of this stuff, okay? I, I get that, uh, you know, so I don't want to go too far, but how much money could he have given those workers? You know, there's a lot of innovation coming out of it, but I wonder if this is exactly what James is talking about. But at the same time, I can't say that's the same biblical line, you know, the biblical thought uh, here, because the Bible, uh, in biblical times, You paid, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you paid wages on a daily basis. So if you held back those wages, they couldn't buy money for, I mean, they couldn't buy food for their table and and stuff like that. In fact, God even forbid his followers from withholding money from the workers. They couldn't say, come back in the morning and I'll pay you. Uh, This is in Deuteronomy uh, 24, right in there. It talks about this. But there are all these wonderful things that we can do here on earth that will not help out on the day of judgment unless our treasure is stored in heaven. And I don't mean in a little rocket ship blasting off to heaven, okay? Kingdom-minded is what he is saying. And, and Zephaniah 1.18, it says, neither, neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who lived on the earth. 
In Isaiah 2.20, it says, In that day people will throw away to the moles and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold, which they made to worship. They will flee the, to the caverns and the rocks and to their overhanging crags in, from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty, which uh, when he rises to shake the earth. Riches will only get you so far. Back to James, verse 5. He says, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fatted yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Now again, it's not wrong to save for retirement. My wife and I do. Many people do. Anything left will go to our boys. If we don't spend it all in the meantime, you know. But at the same time, it is about heaven. It is about following what God wants us to do for our lives. Our focus isn't on making the money. It is on the things of the Lord. The one caveat to this is how we earn it. If you rip people off, if you step on people while you're earning it, then what are you storing up? God's wrath, not his blessing. You think they're treasures, but really, judgment's coming. So lately, I've been, um, another pastor told me about this, and I thought, oh, this, this would be really cool. It, it's, uh, it's an app for those that are looking for somebody to marry them. And I thought, okay, well, this would be cool. I could, I could do some extra weddings, not inside our facility, which is nice, because then that doesn't add a whole bunch of layers of work for me, but on a Saturday here or a Friday there on a week uh, night, maybe I could go do, you know, officiate a wedding, okay? And, and, you know, make a little bit extra money, put that into the Philippines fund so, so that doesn't hit us so hard and all that kind of stuff. So I started doing this, and then I got a, a lead the other day, and, and they started saying, oh, we'll pay you this much if you want to come and do it. It's about an hour, and I'm like, okay, you know, that sounds good. And at the very end, after all said and done, they said, oh, oh, by the way, we are a gay couple. Well, now I have a decision to make, don't I? Now, it's an easy decision, don't get me wrong. But, you know, the devil's on this shoulder, you know, is going, hey, that's an easy $400. God on this shoulder is going, <laughs> I don't think so, Alan. You know, see what I'm saying? How we earn our riches makes a difference. Our, is our mind on the kingdom of God or is it on the kingdom of this earth? Is it about the almighty dollar or is it about following God? I say it's about following God. Our treasures are built up in heaven. So I politely declined them, pointed them a different direction of somebody that would help them out that I knew would help them out. But I, you know, And again, we're called to, to love them. We're not called to agree, but we're called to love them. And I think this is kind of the idea of treasures. Where, where, where's our mind at? Paul also talks about this in Romans 2, 5. He says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of wrath when his, ju uh, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give grace to a certain extent. And I think every parent Every teacher, everybody who deals with young ones understands this, okay? 
You give grace, and you give grace, and you give grace. But there comes a point where your grace is like, okay, this grace bucket is a little empty right now. Because you're pulling another one right here. And I think God, you know, he may even give people years to come back to him. But there will come a time, and if that person hasn't accepted Christ, if that person is storing up all their treasures here on earth, what good will it do them? Not much. Not much at all. So pray for those that have wealth, that they would open their eyes to God and godly things, that they would use it for kingdom purposes and looking out for those who need help on this earth. And when somebody says, thank you, say, hey, the Lord's provided this for me to provide it for you. In other words, you're giving him the glory, not yourself. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. It is on its way. So let's be looking for it. Let us be kingdom-minded in dealing with the money that we have. Enjoy it. God has provided it to us so we can enjoy to be able to live. But make sure we're asking the Lord for wisdom as we're using it. Maturity. That's what James is calling us to. And this is what he's, and, and we talked about last week, just being kingdom-minded in money for those that are Christians. This week, he, he focused a little bit more on the non-Christian and said, watch out, buddy, because your treasures are stored here and not there. So I think we need to ask for wisdom as we're dealing with our money. So uh, why don't you stand, and we will pray, and the worship team will finish this out with, uh, with the last worship song, so. Lord, as we live this life, as we are moving forward, we ask that you can help us be kingdom-minded. Help us be focused on the things that you want us to be focused on. That as we earn money, we ask where should we put this money, that we're wise with how we spend it. We're wise with, uh, you know, when and how we help somebody out. That we not waste it, but at the same time, Lord, that we not hoard it to the point where it's detrimental to you and what you want to accomplish here on this earth. Lord, we pray for those that are out there that are storing up treasures here on earth, that we may be a light to them, that we may be a path to them to, to come to their senses and see you, that you are in control of this world, that it's not about just making money. Because in this life, Things will come to an end, but there is a place to go after this life that is much more important than what's going on here. I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that the Lord's face will shine down upon you, that he will give you the wisdom as you live and you make decisions about money here on this earth. May his face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.